Hello cult hackers and welcome to the podcast. I'm Celine, a media graduate with an interest in cults. And I'm Stephen Mather. I work as an organisational psychologist. Um, I'm also Celine's dad, but I was also raised in a high control group or cult for 30 years, leaving when you were born, Celine. That is the gist of it. That is it, yeah. So um, one thing we haven't done for a while is just uh, define what Cult Hackers is about. So Cult mm. Hackers, what is the show about, Celine? What are we doing here? So we have our bi-weekly chats where me and you talk about something cult-related slash if you've left a cult, you might not have considered this before kind of topic-y yeah. based shenanigans, um, <laughs> this week being coaching. Um, yeah. And then the other episodes are interview episodes where we interview ex-members of high-control culty groups and we get their stories. Yeah, or sometimes interview is an expert who studied cults, uh, sometimes an academic, somebody who's written a book or a fellow podcaster about cults. Yeah, so that's kind of the uh, the deal. Once a week, um, we have a, an episode. Uh, one of those weeks, it's you and me talking about a topic and the other week, it's an interview. Um, for me, the, the idea about cult hackers is that we are trying to get underneath the surface so like a hacker of a piece of software is trying to understand how it works that's kind of what we're trying to do with cult hackers um so it's trying to understand how they work and then i guess being forewarned is is forearmed and it's it's an interesting subject as well as being a very uh, important subject to talk about yeah so that's kind of what we're here to do um the the dynamic of the fact that i was raised in a cult and you Celine, were the catalyst as you were a baby when um, I started thinking, you know, how do I teach you? What do I teach you is the truth. Um, I think that's relevant as well. So that's kind of where we're coming from with this podcast. Mm. Um, if you've not tuned in before, you know, welcome. And um, please do all the liking and subscribing that is required to make sure it drops into your inbox. And if you are a returning member and you always forget to leave a review, mm. tut, tut, go do it now <laughs> while you're listening. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially if he's on Apple, because not all of them have mm-hmm. the review options, but Apple yeah. does, and that one is really powerful. So if you've not done so already, that would be fantastic if you can do that. Uh, thank you very much. Okay, let's get on. That's the housekeeping done. We don't mm-hmm. always do that every week, but I thought it'd be useful. So today we're going to talk about coaching, and in particular life co- coaching. Um, and why are we talking about that, Celine? Well, it's definitely been in the news um, as of recent, um, all over kind of Twitter as well and that sort of thing, um, because of a particular group that has recently been, um, how do we say? Well, they've been exposed by a BBC podcast and a documentary, so some BBC reporting, whom we'll be referring to, uh, Catherine Nyes, the reporter. There's a documentary and there's a podcast called A Very British Cult. Um, the only thing I would ask is why it's called that. I'm not quite sure. Um, but I'm anyway, sure. We, we can come on to that a bit later. It's a fantastic bit of investigative reporting. Well done uh, to everybody involved. It's really, really interesting and absolutely relevant to this podcast. Mm. Um, but parallel to that was a high court investigation into this particular group. And the group is called Lighthouse International Group Holdings Trading LLP. 
Um, and they were wound down this week by the authorities. Um, wound down for or in the public interest. So this isn't because necessarily the organisation became insolvent. This is for public interest. So there had been some complaints about it and they had done an investigation. So there's these two investigations going on side by side. I don't think the BBC knew about it. If you listen to the podcast, you'll you'll see that that um, it came as a bit of a surprise and um, obviously it all kind of came together. I'll read a little bit of the court conclusions. I think that would be quite useful. Um, so Lighthouse International Group Holdings Trading LLP has been wound up in the public interest by the High Court following an insolvency service investigation. Lighthouse was incorporated in 2012 and purported to offer life coaching services as well as mentoring career and business development services it promised on its website that customers subscribing to its products and services would be able to optimize results in your life in direct proportion to your investment of time money and effort customers who subscribe to the service pay substantial sums as identified from analysis of lighthouse's bank accounts between august 2014 and July 2022 Lighthouse received over 2.4 million in income from customers from this income at least half was paid over to Paul War a Lighthouse member over a four-year period and smaller amounts were paid to other members the court found that Lighthouse failed to deliver up to its trading and financial records as required by law during the insolvency service investigation and talks a bit more about that um, a quote here is quite interesting Edna Arkiria chief investigator at the insolvency service said Lighthouse and its members refused to cooperate with our investigation and the court rightly agreed to wind up the partnership um, so there's more information there I'll put the link to that it's the gov.uk website so it's the official website of the government um, and it explains why they've dissolved that company um, the documentary obviously goes into a lot more detail about the case and we discussed this before we started Celine didn't we that there's probably no point in going through all the ins and outs of the case and all that happened totally recommend you listen to the BBC podcast um, as far as I understand it you can listen to that anywhere in the world so I'll put a link on that for you and I think you'll find it really interesting. Yeah, because you don't need the sounds app anymore for BBC stuff. I'm listening to it on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so. cool. So, um, yeah, so definitely check that out. Um, what were some of the things that you took away then um, about the similarities between the reports and what we've learned about cults and these sorts of groups? Well, I suppose the um, amount of time dedicated to it is always a I think a key signifier um and the amount of time required to be in so it's not just you know when someone gets super into something and they want to give it all their time it's the requirement of time in order to be part of the group the I think it's described by the producer on the podcast as sermon-like um sort of calls where sort of zoom calls where they'll be talking um you know bringing yeah. wisdom that sort of thing oh wise one <laughs> kind <laughs> of situation yeah there's a charismatic sort of leader and mm. um, sort of sub 
um, operators as well. I think they mm-hmm. they were also seem to be quite charismatic and they they appealed to people. They seem to have their shit together, as it were. And um, you know that's one of the things that these groups, all cults, really do is they appeal to our need or our desire to get our own shit together i think a lot lots of us feel like we're struggling from time to time with various things just um you know trying to stay focused on what we want to achieve and we don't quite feel we're achieving it and and then somebody comes along and says look here's a great thing you could have if you do this this is how of course cultic religions do it you know well that's disgusting was it just last previous episode the are things complicated or simple um in our last topic yeah yeah so the the desire for it to be like and here is the methodology to a perfect life that's right oh how lovely it would be (laughs) and we'll just boil it down to four things yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and here they are or three things even you can buy are. it for just one hundred pounds <laughs> or whatever. Well, you know. yeah, some of them far we'll more. Get on to the marketing of this yeah. shortly, but yeah, the the promise of um, perfection or achievement or personal development to become the person you've always wanted to be, um, all of that is is in many ways the same. Whether it's mm. a religion or whether it's a, a coaching group or even if it's like a multi-level marketing group you know you can become as wealthy as you want to be and you know how wealthy would you like to be is one of the sorts of questions that Mm. people will ask you on these things you know Mm -hmm. um and so it's it's the same tactic so yeah this this great promise charismatic leadership um so we we listened to alexandra stain on that uh podcast obviously alexandra has been a a guest on our podcast as well, Dr. Stain, I should say. Um, also, we heard Yanya Lalich, Dr. Yanya Lalich as well. So it's great to hear those two um, on a podcast. Brilliant to hear them talking about that. Um, but again, it's the same stuff. It's the it, it, it's the gradually wheeling you in. It's the control over your time, as you said, and it's the high demands of your time. What did you think about the separating from family and so on? How did you think that was relevant to what we talk about? I suppose in this instance, it's one that's not like a mourning group. So it's not like, um, from our point of view, it's being separated from family normally because you leave. So they are all in and you leave. Whereas obviously with this kind of group, you don't, you're not born into a coaching group necessarily. Um, Though there are different situations, these groups grow and develop mm. and become, take on a life of their own you know that, that is its own thing but you mm. know um a lot of these people are joiners because obviously this group was what sort of 2012 so it's about cutting you off from the uh, family yeah. as you join there's always cutting off from family it just depends in which direction so either you'll lose your family because you leave or you'll lose your family because you enter um well that's right and um, what I thought was interesting was the the kind of getting getting the attack in first. You know, you're gonna you're gonna find um, objections to you doing this. You're going to you know essentially setting up your family as being the enemy or your partner as being the enemy, the person that's holding you back, the person that's stopping you doing this really important thing. Um, 
And I think a lot of cults do this. It's because they know that obviously if they don't do that, then family and friends are going to start getting a bit concerned, getting a bit worried, and they'll they'll try and bring you back from that brink. So um, a sensible cult will um, try to get that defence in first and will say, look, you can expect opposition. You can expect people trying to stop you doing this. Don't let them. They're the enemy. They're the world. They're the they're the blockers. They're the negative people. Um, they're the narcissists. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these are the people that are going to stop you from achieving the things that you can achieve. So yeah, it's the same same tactics. Um, separation from family, and again, that means that and friends, and that means that your only social world then become becomes this world that you've got with the cult or the group or the however you want to describe it um it was quite interesting some people really didn't want to use the word cults and um i understand that um and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether you call it a control group or coercive group or high demand group um as far as i'm concerned they're absolutely fine um mm-hmm. if the word cult has too many difficulties with it um absolutely understand that but yeah, so similar to the groups that we've talked about. And yet we're talking about something that in, on the face of it should be quite secular. This is about mm. um, helping you to achieve your goals and, and fulfil your potential. So let's wind it back a bit as to why we're talking about it and um, like coaching in general. And I think because obviously this particular group is uh, quite to the nth degree of um how badly I guess a coaching experience could go. Um, Do we want to talk about just coaching in general, what it's actually for, how just, just a bit general and then kind of how it could be not great all the way up to, I guess, once you get to culty. But um, Mm. I think that, I think there's everything from good coaching to just moderate coaching before we get um, to cult coaching. So (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very happy to do that. I mean, I, I I come from a particular place on this, so it'd be useful for me to talk about my experience with coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so the word coach is actually in my job title. Um, so I consider myself a coach. Uh, a lot of what I do is training in the training room, but some of what I do is coaching, is one-to-one coaching. So um, I think it'd be useful to talk a little bit about that and maybe um, to do that, I'll talk about my own experience of leaving um, the high control group that I was in and my career progression. So one of the things that I sort of gravitated towards for reasons what I've talked about before was to training and development. And I think a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses do move into the learning and development sector. Um, part of that is because we, we're used to talking to people um, whether that be on a one-to-one basis or, or standing in front of um, an audience. So I think there's a kind of element there that you've already got some skills that you might feel you can use, put to use in a different way. Um, so I, I became a trainer in IT, actually, but I, I then went on a training course about how to train, and they introduced me to this thing called the Socratic Method. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the Socratic Method, Celine? Isn't it quite? I thought the Socratic method. Let's see if I'm wrong. I yeah, thought it's quite horrible because it's like the. No. Um, no, I thought it was standing up there 
and like calling people out to give you answers even if they're like struggling and <laughs> this is well me. okay that's interesting that you perceive it that way the, the way i see it is you stand up at the front <laughs> lecture <laughs> point at people and shame them if they get it wrong oh, that's the socratic method as far as i'm aware <laughs> uh well uh, hopefully it shouldn't be like that no i mean simply the socratic method is the use of using questions to help the learner to think the answer for themselves mm. so uh, when i was an it trainer my instinct was to say okay um, to open a file you click on the open menu you um, then click on open and you get a box that pops up and then so i'm telling them basically what happens i might be showing them on a screen as well demonstrating it um, but the socratic method was to say um, okay if you look along the top there you'll see a, a lot of different um, menu options if you wanted to open a file which one of those options would you choose and then people would say well file and I would say okay go on then click on the file menu and then I would say okay so what happens when you click on the file menu and they then say back to you well it opens a window excellent okay so if I wanted to open a particular file what do you think I would do so that was a difference between Socratic training and the old-fashioned training that I used to do which was click on this and then you click on that and then you drag and drop this and then you do this and then you do that the Socratic method was asking the the group or the learner to think for themselves give them some clues and then they'd they'd mm. kind of find the answers for themselves so that was the idea and that really set me on this road of coaching because that is essentially what coaching is, except even more so. Mm. Um, so I went on a coaching course, a postgraduate coaching course. I hadn't actually got any um, degrees. This was early on in my um, in my career once I'd left JWs, um, and I felt like I needed some, um, you know, obviously some professional qualifications. So I went on a course about coaching, and um, that introduced me to the whole coaching method. And this is where I think it's useful to know where it comes from. So what people's view of coaching might be is you have this guru or this person that knows something that you don't and they introduce to you the secret of life or the secret of great sales or the secret of becoming a success. And so I think when people think life coaching, that's what they think about. And often that's how it's advertised. So if you look for life coach on the internet, you might see people who, there's lots of great photographs of happy, successful, beautiful looking people sitting in gorgeous settings, drinking something nice. Mm -hmm. um, and the the marketing of this is is always, why are you not one of those people? why are you not one of those sitting there with a glass of wine um sitting in your huge house um overlooking these mountains and talking intelligently about something you know what why are you not like that don't you want to be like that if you want to be like that take me on as a coach essentially and so that's what people think about life coaching now i don't know whether that's um whether that's come about recently but that's not the original idea of coaching is actually all about so actually what what coaching comes from is from the world of sport if you think about 
what we think about when we think about a coach often we might think about somebody shouting from the sideline but really coaching um, there was a there was a guy called Tim Galway who came up with a couple of books one was called the inner world of tennis um, and then the inner world of golf um, and this was then picked up by I would say the daddy of coaching and this guy is called John Whitmore and here's the book I'm showing it to you now Celine I've got two copies of that one um and it's so good i've got two editions yeah two editions um and john whitmore really became the the father of i would say business coaching but it's it's from that that sprung all these other sorts of coaching and and coaching when it comes down to it he defines coaching as unlocking a person's potential to maximize their own performance it is helping them to learn rather than teaching them so i'll put a link to the or i'll put the reference on there but this is on page eight and that is a quote i've used in all my coaching courses um that is what coaching is it's helping people to learn rather than teaching them so what you're trying to do is you're trying to facilitate helping that individual think about what they want what their goals are and then think about how they're going to achieve them it's John that religious Wh- quote: <laughs> "Teach a man to fish." <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It Give is a man a fish. Teach yeah. a man to fish. Mm. Um, I don't think it is. It religious? I don't think it is. I think it's just a, thought, a wise quote. Is it just a wise quote? I thought it mm. came from from Bible times, but maybe no, it's just so. a wise quote. Well, there you go. Yeah, good. So, even better. Even better. Yeah. So, teach a man how to fish. You feed. Or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's the that's the idea of coaching. So you're trying to help people to think about the way that they're thinking, essentially, and um, facilitate. So you're a facilitator, not a leader, and not even a teacher or a trainer. When you, when you're coaching, you really should be helping that individual identify what they want and also think about how they can achieve it and I think that's very different from what I'm seeing in a lot of the life coaching industry Mm. Um, the life coaching industry advertises this as being um, sure you know what are your goals what do you want to achieve and those things might be all very different things but then I'm going to give you the secret source that's going to help you achieve that Mm. Um, and I think that's where some of the danger arises because um, as an individual, I'm looking at that thinking, oh yeah, I really want to know how to achieve that thing I've been going on about for ages. You know, that book I want to write, that that um, that physical endurance thing I want to do, that job I want to get, that mm-hmm. degree I want to do, whatever it is, and I never seem to do it. Maybe this is the way. This person's going to have some secrets going to help me to to get there and what does that do if you get into that situation that puts all the power in the hands of the coach because now I'm like a supplicant I'm saying help me please coach help me to do this thing that I really want to do Um, and that's that's what the coach then is going to do for you but they're able then to say you're not doing it right Mm -hmm. it's all your fault and again, that comes out in the documentary. Whenever things are not going the way that the victims, let's call them, 
are hoping to, when they invest all that money and they don't get any return, that's your fault. It's your fault because you're not doing it right. Mm. Um, and again, that reminds us so much of, of the religious cults we've had. You know, I, I'm still unhappy. Why am I still unhappy? Well, because you're not praying enough. Mm. You're not going out in the service enough. You know, it's your fault. You're not studying enough. So it's always your fault. And again, that I think that that is a risk when you put yourself as a um, a weaker individual in this power relationship with the coach. So that's one of the things that I think is a is a red flag. How are you approaching this thing? And what is that coach promising you? That that's from a professional perspective as a as a coach and I'm not a life coach I would say I don't advertise as a life coach so I work in business so I I'm more of a leadership coach or an improvement coach so this is more about you know you want to get that project delivered on time okay let's let's do a bit of coaching to think about how you're going to make that happen Mm -hmm. um so it's more that sort of thing or you want to be a more effective communicator with your team okay well um let's think about what that would look like and, and what you can do to improve that um, there might be some training involved in terms of learning some techniques and some tools, but again, there should be a, an understanding that that's just they're just sets of tools. You know, they are. It's not a secret source. These are a set of of understood techniques that you might want to use. Um, it's up to you if you want to use them or not. Um, the onus is with the learner or the the individual being coached. Even though. Like you specified, you weren't a life coach, you are doing business coaching. Yeah. Um, obviously, people still are just people. So however, mm. you know, whatever yeah. instance they come to you in. Um, did you ever have someone come to you with something that was not, you didn't feel comfortable to help them with in a coaching instance and you've had to recommend them elsewhere? Absolutely. So that's one of the things that, um, again, this comes out in the documentary, but I would absolutely re- um, reiterate this. If people start talking to you about their marriage or about their mental health, um, these are areas that a coach is not qualified to give them help with. This is not counselling. So coaching is not counselling. And there's some quite dangerous situations that we heard in the documentary about people being given advice about... um, taking medication and things like that this is something that a coach should never should never get involved in absolutely and if they're doing that then that is another red flag really um Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's something that they're not qualified to do so yeah me personally i'll i'll always um just make it clear that i'm here to talk about the work situation the thing they're trying to do in the workplace or the improvement they're trying to make if it's a career so i my course was called executive coaching um so that's the official uh thing i was learning which is i suppose more for i suppose fairly high flyers who are who already have a career already probably quite successful but need somebody to talk to and get their thinking straight if you're an executive or manager you might find that there's very few people you can actually talk to and run ideas by if you like and so what the coach can do is help them to do that and uh, think about okay well what do you want so the the Whitmore the the book I've referred to um, uses something called the grow model which is very very common in coaching it's kind of the 
the first one that started it all. And the GROW model stands for goals, reality, options, and what to do. So in other words, you're you're walking the, the coachee through what are your goals, what do you want to achieve, and you really try to flesh that out. You really try to help the person get real clarity on what they want. So really specific, you might use smart goal setting, things like that, to really understand what it is they want. Not just to be a bit fitter, not just to be a bit happier, not just to be more successful. If you were doing that sort of thing, you would you would be really trying to say, well, what does that actually look like? How would you measure that? How would you know if you've achieved that? And um, For me, it would be more like, you know, how would you know if that, project has been delivered what would good look like what would the standard be um, and what will happen what will be happening once you've achieved that goal within your job and then the um, the reality is what's happening now so your current state what's going on now what it what are what are the realities that you're seeing right now and you describe that in lots of detail and so you've got your goal and you've got your current state which means essentially you've got a gap between those two where are you now? Where would you like to be? Um, and the gap in between that is where you look at the options. Okay, what could I do? What could I do to fill that gap? What actions could I take? In what time frame? Who might I need to help me? What resources am I going to need or might I need? And so on. And then what to do, the bit at the end, is you've taken all those, well, I could do this and I could do this and I could do this, and you've created that into a plan. What am I going to do? This is the plan. I'm going to achieve this by doing this, 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 and this through these timelines. Create a Gantt chart, and uh, which I know you like to do, Celine, <laughs> and um, and everything. You know, you've got a plan for delivering it. So that's really what what I see as coaching. Now, of course, you can apply that to life coaching, but again, it's really about the individual. What are their goals? And what do they want to do in order to achieve it? Now, there might be some skillful use of questions to try and help people think a bit outside what they would normally think, because obviously they they might be a bit stuck in a rut. Mm -hmm. So you can do some of that stuff. But it's all focused on the individual to help them. What we're seeing in some of these life coaching situations is we're seeing manipulative individuals set people up so that they'll do what they want them to do mm. and that's to invest money to pay for more courses to pay for more coaching to um, do free labor which we see all of this in some of these scandals around life coaching so that's a very different thing so for me knowing what coaching is I think is really important coaching is is really facilitating to help you to achieve your goals, not to help the coaching company achieve theirs. I was raised in a cult. Of course, if you'd have asked me all those years ago or anyone else in our small fundamentalist church if we were a cult, we'd have indignantly replied, absolutely not. Other groups like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're cults. But we're not a cult. Everything became normalized, though, but it wasn't until decades later, after I deconstructed my entire belief system and walked away from the Christian faith entirely, that I began to see just how cultish the whole thing actually was. But before all of that, for over 20 years, I'd served both as a pastor and a Bible college teacher, so I had a hand in it, furthering the toxicity also. 
So in the process of rebuilding my life and discovering my authentic identity, I've got lots to work through. Things like religious trauma syndrome, rapture anxiety, and just so much more. Join me, Dr. Clint Haycock, on the MindShift podcast as we take a look at such topics as cult tactics and psychology, religious trauma syndrome and religious addiction, taking your life back after leaving a cult or high-control group, and finally, dominion theology and the dangers posed by the Christian right, not just in America, but indeed the world. You can find my show on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Who knows, it might just be time for a mind shift. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just £1 or $1.50 and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. Yeah, so we've got an idea of what it is, when it's working and when it's good. Um, Do you feel like you've got that across us? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, it it might be worth just um, that the roots of Mm. coaching um, are psychological. So they, they come from the humanist school of coaching. So um, we've talked a little bit about psychology before, but um, if you go back to the psychoanalytic phase of of, um, psychology, Mm. like your Freuds and your your Jungs and so on, um, they treated their patients like subjects and or even objects, really. And um, they were, you know, it was about fixing them. Uh, they were damaged they were um hysterical they were wrong for all sorts of reasons and all the power was with the uh the psychoanalyst and if you've ever seen any uh dramatizations of people like freud and so on they are very dominating characters you know and all the power was with the psychoanalyst uh, what followed from psychoanalysis in psychology was the behaviorists and the behaviorists basically said um we're not interested in what's going on in the mind we we don't know anything about that um it's really just about what we see the behavior so there was no coaching or there was no proper um interest in helping people with their inner state for the behaviorists and so what came after that were the humanists who basically were kicking against both this behaviorist paradigm and the psychoanalysis. And so the humanists were, the main names in humanism or humanist psychology were Carl Rogers, Abraham Maslow and Frederick Hertzberg. I bet you've heard of at least one of those. Mm. Um and these were the these this was the humanist school of psychology and basically what they said was um that all of the answers all of the resources are actually in the person themselves and what you're trying to do is you're trying to if you're helping them 
You're trying to unlock their own potential. The individual has the resources. You just need to help them unlock them. And so they did that through the use of questions and through helping people to understand where their strengths were and how to build on those strengths. Maslow's famous for his hierarchy of needs. Um, Hertzberg is famous for his motivation theory. And Carl Rogers sort of was the daddy of all of this. Um, so this was a very different sort of psychology. This was about the person. This was person-centred. Mm. This was about the individual rather than applying a sort of uh, model onto them. This was about them being the leader of their own development. So it was used in therapy, and it still is used today in therapy, but it was also used in other areas like business. So if you think about coaching and therapy, they they do have an ancient, if we, if we can call that 100 years ancient or 70 years ancient, uh, an, an old root that they came from. They come from this idea of being solution-focused, so not thinking about the past. Like Again, Freud would go back into the past and say, you know, your problems here are stemming from your childhood. Solution-focused counselling or solution-focused therapy was not really interested in that. It was about, right, okay, this is where you are. How can you think more appropriately and how can you take action that's more useful? And I guess this is where cognitive behavioural therapy comes from, the philosophical basis of it. That's that's the basic, still the same idea, is, is the answer is with the individual. I'm going to have positive regard for that individual. I might not like what they're doing, but I still care about them. I'm going to have positive regard for them individually and believe they have the resources that they need. I just need to help them to unlock those things. So you can see how they both coaching and that type of counselling come from the same place. But of course they diverge. Mm. And the other thing you have to remember is that coaches don't need, actually don't need any qualifications. Mm -hmm. I have some qualifications in coaching, but I didn't need to. I could have become a coach or even a life coach without any qualifications at all. So when you're sitting in front of somebody who's claiming to be an experienced and qualified life coach, it's important, I think, to remember that they don't actually have to have any formal qualifications at all. You, and you can get them. So I would say make sure that the people you're using have qualifications, maybe are a member of a, a, a recognised coaching federation. There's a few of them. Um, and that will give you a bit more... Um, certainty as well but of course you know you can't just rely on that um yeah so that's that's kind of where it all comes from that's why there's sometimes a bit of misunderstanding and as a coach i was all always very concerned that i didn't cross any lines so know what you can do know what you can't do it's not about helping people with their mental health problems but it is about helping people achieve their goals and what they want to achieve um, so it's not trying to fix people. It's trying to help people to achieve their their goals and what they want to they want to get out of whatever situation they happen to be in. So they're they're the kind of differences between 
coaching and counselling, I would say. Um, I have seen this sort of discourse going on actually recently about um, why we even need life coaching. So see, it's quite mm. obvious if you're mentally unwell and you need counselling, that's quite a simple, yeah. if this, then that um, sort of situation. Um, so people have sort of said, why, why is there a rise of life coaching, for mm. instance? Why is there more and more people taking life coaching? Or even why do more people um need counseling i've heard thrown around as well than previous um obviously i think to counter that um probably people did need counseling before and it wasn't available stigmatization and that sort of thing um so, but but you know the, the valid question why why do, do more people seem to be seeking out life coaching and counseling in general there was this uh, argument being thrown around of just life having less community as well than ever before and less people to just talk to by happenstance <laughs> and that you have to kind of book in your time with somebody to be able to kind of go through what would have been maybe a natural process of having a conversation because I guess some people listening to this might be like well I just talk to somebody if I'm thinking about this and that why can't you just you know yeah. well I have heard to get your thoughts on it um yeah, some people are saying because of the way we've built our lives, um, you kind of have to yeah book someone in effectively because you don't have that kind of wider group community that you can go to, you know, somebody, some yeah, different things. I mean, what do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, th there may be some truth in that. I'm always, mm. I, I always take a fairly sceptical stance of it's because of the modern age we live in yeah. sort of answer to everything. Cause it like, you know, as long as I, I mean, I'm quite old now, I'm in my mid fifties. And as mm. long as I've been alive, people have been saying, Oh, it's because of the life we lead now. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, yeah. Okay. We, we do lead different lives. Um, but I, I try to think back to my parents' time and I just think to myself, the people that I knew who were, sort of mentor and coaching age if you like um the peers of of them would they be able to give them good coaching advice or really good you know they, they weren't so i think i think this kind of rose-colored spectacle view of the past where you know you you in your village you'd have, always have somebody wise to talk to i think is a bit is a bit ridiculous they might have a, a a wise saying oh well my my dad always used to say um this you know but so i don't think it's like we've suddenly lost this massive um well of wisdom that um mm. suddenly has has been lost because we don't talk to each other anymore i think we talk to each other more than ever we've got more ways of communicating it's just that we don't necessarily do it in a particularly effective way what coaching does is it structures it so that you know you can um what it should do is it structures it. it it should allow you to know where you are um and order your thinking in a much more useful way mm. giving you a better chance to achieve your goals but i think it would be very interesting to and i haven't done the research on this because i didn't know we were going to get to this question but i don't know what the research says about the success or not of life coaching it's a very difficult thing to research, you know, but mm. um, let's let's go with fitness and wellness because that's one of the big areas of growth in coaching, life coaching in particular. Um, does 
the use of a coach increase the likelihood that you will achieve your wellness goals Mm -hmm. so i'm going to go away i won't be able to do it before another episode but i'll see if i can find some papers about that and see what the research actually says does coaching help or increase the likelihood of achieving wellness goals yeah Um, um... and i would be skeptical if it does is Weight Watchers and stuff like that, is that coaching or is that just... No, I wouldn't call that coaching. I, that's more of a community. Mm. Um, there might be some coaching offered, I guess. Mm. Um, but I think that's more using community to create a sense of accountability. Mm. I mean, that is one of the things that coaching can do, is create a that's sense of accountability. That's why I was thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to explain to my coach this week why I haven't been out on my cycle ride uh, that I promised him I was going to do you know I haven't I haven't done that reading that I said I was going to do so there is an element there that that you can um, you can get out of it it could be quite an expensive way to create some accountability for yourself to be honest but the fact that you are spending money in itself might increase the likelihood that you think right okay I need to do this because I'm now spending money on it but I think you know any Anybody who's joined a gym after Christmas knows that just the fact that you're spending money on it every month doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to actually do it. So, yeah, that, that again is debatable. But I, as I said, I don't know what the, the research says about the success rate of life coaches. So, yeah, I think it's quite an interesting an interesting area. So, yeah, and why is it more now? Um, I think... It, part of it is the history, like I said, coming from humanism or humanist psychology, um, and then the development of business coaching, John Whitmore, and then of course everybody wants a piece of it, you know. So it's become a really big industry. And um, if you do a, a search for life coach on Google, the thing that interested me the most was how many of those, vast majority of those links are not life coaches selling their wares, but are actually people trying to sell you training courses on how to become a life coach. Hmm. Bit MLM-y, isn't it? There's a, there's a real pyramid um, sort of MLM feel around this industry. It's about right learning how to become a coach so that you can make loads of money. So you're learning how to become a coach to coach others to become successful. But what really matters for you is that you have more and more coaching clients. So actually what it becomes is it's more about a pyramid style sales business, really. It's all right, okay, well, here's how to become a coach. Um, And then what happens is if you're successful at that, you're able to claim that you're successful, but you weren't successful before you started selling coaching. So the only success you've got is in selling this success. Mm. It's kind of a circular argument. And it's something that I think you see an awful lot. People who are really successful in this area. How successful were they in the actual area that they are now coaching? Instead of how much money have they made out of coaching, out of promising people that they're going to become a millionaire or successful it has a lot of hallmarks of pyramid selling to me 
Uh, again, that is that's quite worrying because ultimately you get to a saturation point where you've got so many coaching trainers trying to battle for all these different opportunities for people to become coaches um, and the pool of actual people, clients, wanting coaching um, becomes smaller and smaller. And that's why I think the vast majority of coaches are not particularly successful. Um, So you have a few that are, but most coaches struggle to make a living um and that's because there's so many coaches being created by all these training courses about how to become a coach and earn millions um so it feels like quite a sort of pyramids um, scheme um the other thing i wanted to to say quickly um is is sort of maybe a few more warning signs a few red flags that i think is worth bearing in mind and also just things to look for really can i just um, go through a few of those Celine? yeah <laughs> yeah i think no i think that's a good idea just in okay. case um so the first thing i would say is is be aware of the selling tactics of these life coaches um the mm-hmm. successful ones are great at marketing and selling if you go onto a website um and i hesitate to do that to encourage you to do that because i don't want people getting sucked down into some of these unscrupulous ones again remembering that they're not all unscrupulous but what they are really good at is selling mm-hmm. so if you look at a website that's that's a coaching website you know there's lots of uh do you want do you want this lifestyle um and then there's lots of discussion about that lifestyle um, but you can't see the answer to how to get that lifestyle until you click onto this next thing. Then you click on this next thing and that takes you to another page that might give you a little bit more about, so what does this lifestyle in, include and, and what sort of thing is it all about and how can coaching really help you? How can coaching with me really help you? Um, click here to see that. And so it's gradually dragging you in to have more and more interest now this is a very well-known um website sort of technique marketing technique it's it's about keeping your interest and the more you click the more committed you are to that there's a lot of psychology behind this these are brilliantly designed websites that are designed to get you in um try out this free thing try out this thing subscribe to my newsletter subscribe to my free help to do blah 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 which gives you nothing but just enough tantalizing ideas to think oh should i pay that 50 pound a month to get the the subscription to do the thing now you know if you want to spend that money if you've got that money to spend okay that's your call but i think it's really important to know what they're doing they are they are fishing and they are reading you in. <laughs> every mm-hmm. time you click on that next link, they're reeling you in a bit closer. And every time you read a bit more, they're doing a bit more of that. So this is marketing. I'm not saying that's cult behavior. This is marketing. But we all know that marketing can also be quite unscrupulous mm-hmm. and can, you know, can be very manipulative. So I think just be aware of that is my first bit of advice um be wary of placing too much store by models so this is if there's anything that i think is 
the one nugget that I don't think is out there very much because most people will give you warnings about marketing, but there's not many people talking about this, and I think this is really important. So the use of models. That's um, a good model. <laughs> yeah, all these groups, all these. Um, so the one that we uh, we heard in the podcast about Lighthouse, they use Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Successful People. That's how they got people in the first place, and they they went through this like a like the Bible. It was like a Bible study. They would it was a, a book group, but they would study each chapter every week, just like we used to do in the Bible studies, and they'd go through each one of these seven habits. Um, another one that is used by or was used by this group was um, the four levels. Again, this was taken from another um, expert. Basically, what models are trying to do, whenever you hear, you know, these are the seven steps, these are the four things. Um, and I use models a lot in my training. You know, they're, they're used all the time. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a model. Well, it's just um, helpful visualisation, yeah. like compartmentalising, you know. It just breaks things down, doesn't it? But it's a simplification, and that is the most important thing to remember. It. So, think Delightful about a model, simplification. though. <laughs> yeah, but think about again. This is complexity versus simplicity mm -hmm. question again. But think of a model as a map. So, a map is a simplification of the real world, and that's important because we we get overwhelmed by too much information. So, if I wanted to know how to get from here to London on my bike, let's say, I would perhaps use a map to do that but that map has to be simplified i couldn't use a scale of one to one because that would be the size of the earth itself so it has to be simplified it has to be scaled down and in that scaling down you are reducing information um, and at some point you start to lose information that's quite useful but that's what models do. Models just reduce the complexity of life into something simpler and easier for us to understand. And therefore we can we can say, yeah, there's four things here. There's four stages that are life the life cycle of a team. There's three different types of leadership styles, according to Lewin. There's these things that are above the hygiene line in Hertzberg's motivation factor. But this is not reality. This is just a simplified version of reality, just so we can talk about it. But what these, what cults do, I would say cults, including religious cults and business cults, is they take these models and they treat them as if they are reality. Mm. As if they contain the sum of wisdom that you need to know and that can't be wrong. So if you only know these seven steps and you apply these seven steps, you'll always be sorted. You'll always get the result you're looking for. But these are only one way of looking at things. You could look at things in a completely different way and have a different model, and that would be equally as good. So as George Box said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And that's a really good way of thinking about it. So if you're in a group or a coaching session or a um, business coach or a life coach is is basically selling you these this model as if it is the secret to life and it is the reality itself 
then I say be very, very careful of that because that's oversimplifying. And it's very easy to get sucked in then to this, this very simplified way of thinking about the world. So for me, that's another thing. Don't get sucked into the idea that only if you could apply this model, then you'd be fine. You know, you're, you're, you're going to be there then. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, I've seen one thing that was online and it was, um, again, in the wellness, fitnessy, be your best self, kind of you'll become an entrepreneur as well, you know, because you, you can't be an entrepreneur, but you've got to always have a six pack. It's not, they are <laughs> not mutually exclusive. Um, but um, so Natasha Ocean, um, who helped us with the finding the information about reactants in that episode mm. that we did, um, well, she also did one where she tried the like, like it's called, it's like the full in or something like this, like really hard. You have to like have, cold showers you've got to drink like like an exhaustive amount of water every day you have to read this you have to read a non-fiction book every day um like a certain amount of a book every day you need to like do this do this you know you have to exercise every day i think it's for like 80 days in a row or something um and it's really hardcore mm. and um if you fail by one day or you don't do one of the things like you just forget one thing you have to start again. Mm. And uh, she was like, this is awful. No. And um, yeah, it's this simple, if you just do this, it'll be fine. Um, but it's always so hard that you inevitably fail. So it's difficult to then, I guess, ever say, well, I did it and it didn't work. Do you know what I mean? That's right. They yeah. make it again, so unattainable. It's all about you. The problem is always with you. If, if you don't, if you don't achieve it, it's your fault because you didn't do it properly. Yeah. Rather than it just being like, this is actually very hard. Um, or impossible actually or impossible yeah yeah mm. it's designed to be impossible. There's, there's there's also something there you've reminded me about this um tough love mm-hmm. so i've heard this a few times and, and i've um so i haven't really talked about some other business settings where i felt it's starting to creep into culty territory mm-hmm. um i have been in those situations where there's been consultancies that actually, when I look back on it now, I think mm, Bit off. they were kind of on the edge, you know, um, of getting into some slightly dodgy territory. But one of the things that that group said that I'm thinking of was about tough love. Mm-hmm. And that's something else I've noticed with some of these groups is there's a, if you listen to people like, even like Andrew Tate, listen to him talk and he's basically telling you that you're useless and that, you know, this is why you are where you are. Look at me, I've got all this stuff and this is because I'm me and you're like this because you're lazy and you're useless and you don't do this and you don't do that. Um, and that, again, is quite culty. There's a lot of that in these sorts of groups. Um, it was referred to in the documentary i think and it was it's also something that i've heard um the need for tough love and that's that again gives justification to the person in power to punish or to coerce Mm. the people not in power to do certain things um and i think some of the way that the guy was talking to his associates and the people that he should have been helping you know this kind of very aggressive talking to you as though you're a piece of dirt but still going back for more again this is why are we doing this why are the people doing this well because again that cultic process isolated 
all your eggs are in that basket now. Mm. You also think they're an absolute genius, therefore I need to listen to what they're saying because they know everything. They are a genius. They have that secret source. Mm. So again, tough love. I don't think that's... If you're going to a life coach whom you're paying to help you to achieve your goals, um, I don't want to hear about tough love. I think it's okay to give me maybe even brutal facts at time at times you know Stephen if you want to achieve this goal then currently you're not going to do it doing what you're doing mm-hmm. fine but I don't actually see that it's appropriate for me to be screamed at or shouted at or told I'm useless by somebody that I'm paying to help me so if I'm seeing that if you're experiencing that then I personally that's a red flag for me mm-hmm um so that's that's another one that you've reminded me of the other one is of course never never invest i've recently had a situation where i've i was asked to invest a certain amount every month in order to be part of a a kind of training arrangement where i would be then given if there's work available um in fact this has happened more than once i get offered this on numerous occasions so pay a subscription or pay a certain amount every month and then you become a supplier um, and opportunities are going to come your way because of this Um, my advice is don't do that if you're paying somebody to be a coach then pay them to do the coaching and I personally would only pay them per coaching session you know, I wouldn't pay them for a year's worth of coaching. I'd pay them per coaching session. If they insist on doing it over a longer period, well, that, you know, that's up to you. But then certainly don't start investing in extra things like, you know, invest into this thing because this is going to help the business to grow. And when the business grows, this is going to help you because you'll have some uh, return from this investment, which again is what happened mm. with this uh, this documentary. So, yeah, I think it's really important to, you shouldn't be giving money for opportunities in the future. Um, Pay people for a service. um, And if the service isn't good, you can stop paying for the service and that stops. Uh, Don't get dragged into a contract or an arrangement where you are paying for opportunities that may or may never come, depending on whether you fulfill some criteria or not. That is really dangerous, and that is how a lot of these these groups operate because mm-hmm. uh, they can't lose in that situation. If they don't get any work for you, if they don't get any anything come back on the investment, it doesn't matter to them because you've already handed over your cash. Um, so yeah, that's the other, a red flag. That that's not a coaching company. That's that's some sort of investment arrangement, and you. You know, you need to know what you're doing if you're going to invest money into something like that. So that's another red flag for me. Do you have any more red flags? Um, I probably do, but I can't. These think are of the any key red flags. More. Yeah, these are the ones. Amber flags, of. probably there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I put it, I put keep it professional, but I think we've covered that in the respect of tough love. You know, so it's a professional working relationship with this individual, and there needs to be mutual respect. Um, and actually the power as as the client as the customer the power really should be with you to be able to say 
yes, I want to continue doing this, or no, I'm going to stop doing this. Maybe you want to use somebody else, or maybe you just want to stop doing it altogether. Um, so you should always maintain that power. If you get into a situation where you feel that you can't stop because A, you've invested already too much, or B, um, they're going to come after you aggressively, um, then, you know, obviously that should be an alarm bell. One of the things that we haven't mentioned actually in the documentary that is common in various groups um, is the recording of sessions. So again, that's, I think, a bit of care needs to be taken about the willingness to be recorded. What unscrupulous groups, including some religious groups, will do then is they hold that information against you and are able to say, well, you know, if you make a, a fuss, if you want to leave or if you want to do something that we don't like, don't forget, we've all got all this information about you. We've got a, a load of recordings about you admitting to this or saying that. Um, and that's that puts you in a, in a dangerous position. So I think it's worth bearing that in mind. And that's a bit of a lesson learned for me is about recording things um, without your knowledge or even if it's with your knowledge then of course that does put you in a in a weakened position or it might do depending on what you say so yes yeah, worth worth bearing that in mind as well okay, okay. Well, i think we've done some some good work well maybe <laughs> i mean uh, it's a bit different in some respects to our normal discussion mm. because uh, because of my background in coaching i guess i felt like i needed to talk about it coming from that angle as well as the cult angle i think if you listen to the podcast if you watch the documentary the bbc documentary about that group um it's called a very british cult as i said i, I don't think it's particularly british i think it's just very culty cult <laughs> it's yeah. a it's a I typical it's, cult really i think it might be because from my reasoning as to why they called it that is because um at the beginning obviously i've still not finished it yet i'm still halfway through maybe a bit more than half um it's uh it says at the beginning um or oh, people think cults are like this like yes. people in orange robes just wandering yes. around la or something isn't it or california yeah. um and, it, and it's not there's one around the corner from you um yeah that's and point, yeah yeah, and I think it's probably the saying cults are in Britain too. That's my that's yeah. my assumption is it it's it's saying like you said, it's a very culty cult in in Britain. It's a very British cult because it's a cult in Britain. That's kind of yeah. the way I take it. I think that's um, a good point. Yeah, but I, I think it'd be It's a bit of a it, slightly it, odd title, but if you yeah. that's the way the reasoning I've took from it. I think that's that's um I think you're spot on with that. That is the reason they've they've used that. The, the downside is that it, it might mean that if you're a Canadian or an Australian or an American or Spanish person, you're thinking, well, it's um I don't need to worry about that. But this is a tactic that is used worldwide. It's yeah. it's a sort if it was of in wherever it could be a very yeah. Canadian call, very Spanish exactly. call, so on, so on. It's yeah. just this one happened to be in Britain and that's what makes it such yeah. also I think again reminding that anyone can be in a end up in a group um yeah because uh that's iterated early on with the first interviewee um mm. jeff he, yeah he doesn't come across uh, it's very clearly outlined that 
this isn't someone you'd think would end up in a court because as we've discussed people have an idea of who is in a court and who would end up Mm. in one um and i think they very quickly bash that out by saying and we bring in jeff (laughs) that's right um so Yeah. yeah i think that's probably all to do with that yeah, and and I think if you listen to that, you'll you'll definitely hear all the all the telltale signs of a cult. You know, the the overpromising, mm-hmm. the the love bombing is is in there. You know, so you're such a, an amazing person. Uh, we can't wait to work with you. It's going to be wonderful working with you. Um, you've got the control of time. You've got the um, the, the the telling them that they're wrong and that they're useless. You know, in in the group that he describes in the documentary, there's four levels, and only the leaders at the top level. Everybody yeah. else is at the bottom level. You know, well, so yeah, this they're is... not even at two or three; <laughs> yeah, they're at exactly. one forever. So this is like again setting up that power differential. All of the knowledge, all of the, of the information, all of the power comes from the leader. Um, even the lieutenants are leading a pretty rubbish life really you know there's very few if any other people that are doing anything out of this group um mm. but everybody's sort of stuck in it and um any attempt to ask questions any attempt to challenge anything is met with aggression separating individuals from family and friends and from a community monopolizing their time taking their their work uh their labor making them work for nothing or very little um and exploiting them financially you know these are classic cult tactics um Mm. and they work over and over again i think one thing i would say towards the end of the documentary there seems to be a suggestion that it was starting to um morph into a christian group mm. so there was talk about um reading the bible and following jesus and so on so i think the the danger is that these sorts of groups cotton on to the fact that religions have a privileged position mm-hmm. in our society and if you want to start a cult make it a religion because you get protection that way yeah cause I was going nobody to say, cares about a life coaching to... call no, being able to close it down. Exactly. Because, um, uh, as we've discussed before, revoking uh, charity status would not be done as easily as revoking the business. Absolutely. And I think business. that's a massive challenge to the government and all governments around the world, really. You know, if you see a, co- a life coaching company mm-hmm. and you realise that this is a, a high-control situation that is is actually well, not helping the issue them. is they know. Um, I just think they don't want to touch it with a barge pole. Yeah, um, yeah. And if that is lost in translation as a <laughs> sentence, um, they just don't want to go anywhere near it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're confused. Um, yeah. Or they don't realise. Um, I think they 100% realise and they're not idiots. I just don't think they want to go anywhere near it. Because it's weird. a religion and because of the outcry and sensitivities yeah. around religious yeah. belief. Yeah, exactly yeah. so. Well... Okay. All right. Well, that thank was really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Celine. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. It's been great to have you with us today. Um, and uh, don't forget to like and subscribe, as we said at the 
the front of the and leave the a show. review. Yeah, and if you fancy being a patron, that would be lovely. It's only oh, a yeah. pound a month or a dollar fifty a month, and there's only one tier, so it means that if you just join us at that level, then you get access to everything, mm-hmm. including a an extra podcast every week, which is my podcast that I do just for the patrons. Um, currently, I'm doing my cycle ride training, so. Yeah. Just remind everybody, I'm cycling from John O'Groats or from Land's End to John O'Groats. That's tip to toe uh, of the UK or of Great Britain, I suppose. It's about a thousand miles in 12 days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you've not shared our picture. We went on a group cycle with, we did. with supporting dad. <laughs> Me and Thomas, we came along. We joined in. Yeah. Our bum Do you want to know why I haven't shared it yet? It's I'm hoping like a... that I can lose some weight and then I can have a before and after picture then. I see, I see. But just <laughs> um, crop it then. <laughs> I des- I desperately need to lose weight for the challenge. I'm, I'm way overweight. So um, I'm currently really knuckling down now. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been out a lot. It's one of the things that I talk about on the um, the Court Hackers Extra, but not only that. Um, but I get around the country quite a bit and there's lots of interesting places. I've been to the birthplace of Oliver Cromwell. I've been to the execution where Mary Queen of Scots was executed yesterday. Um, uh, where else? Yeah, places where witches were tried. So I try to tie in the places I'm going with things that are kind of related to some of our topics as well. So that's part of what I talk about on Cult Hackers Extra. But I also talk about more topical things. So if there's things going on that I want to talk to the patrons about that's been happening in the news or that's been happening to us, then I tend to talk a bit more about that in Cult Hackers Extra. So if you want to tune into that, it's about half an hour extra podcast a week. Um, plus we need to do our um, monthly get together we're a bit late on that mm. i think as well that's another thing that patrons get right okay enough waffling thank you very much for listening thank you again uh, for supporting us and see you next time bye bye